we're reading tonight is Mark 3, which if you're using the um, Bibles um, in the chairs in front of you, is page 1004. That's Mark 3. Another time, Jesus went into the synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, Stand up in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked them, Which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they remained silent. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts, said to the man, Stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the lake, and a large crowd from Galilee followed. When they heard all that he was doing, many people came to him from Judea, Jerusalem, Udemir, and the regions across the Jordan, and around the Tyre and Sidon. Because of the crowd, he told his disciples to have a small boat ready for him, to keep the people from crowding him. For he had, healed so many, he had healed many, so that those with diseases were pushing forward to touch him. Whenever the impure spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. But he gave them strict orders not to tell others about him. Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed twelve that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. These are the twelve he appointed. Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. To them he gave the name Bonerges, which means son of thunder. Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Theodius, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Then Jesus entered a house, and again a crowd gathered, so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. When his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him, for they said, He is out of his mind. And the teachers of the law who came down from Jerusalem said, He is possessed by Beelzebul. By the prince of demons, he is driving out demons. So Jesus called them over to him and began to speak to them in parables. How can Satan drive out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan opposes himself and is divided, he cannot stand. His end has come. In fact... No one can enter a strong man's house without first tying him up. Then he, can, then he can plunder the strong man's house. Truly I tell you, people can be forgiven all their sins and every slander they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. They are guilty of an eternal sin. He said this because they were saying he has an impure spirit. Then Jesus' mother and brothers arrived. Standing outside, they sent someone in to call him. 
A crowd was sitting round him, and they told him, Your mother and brothers are outside looking for you. Who are my mother and my brother? he asked. Then he looked at those seated in a circle round him and said, Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does, does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. Thank you, Wendy. Shall we pray? Holy Spirit, please help us now. Please just help us to understand what's going on in this chapter and help us to learn more of you. Amen. Um, there's an awful lot going on uh, in, in, in Mark chapter 3, isn't there? Um, page 1004, if you've got your Bibles handy or if you've got it online or whatever, it doesn't matter, does it? But anyway... You might want to keep it open. We're going to be jumping around a bit. Um, but with so much going on, I want to kind of pick on two sort of themes, two strands uh, to focus on. Um, and one is the idea that Jesus is calling everybody. Uh, and, and the second idea is that that call needs a response. So we're going to be thinking a bit about you know, the, the breadth of Jesus' call and what we do about it. Now, at the, uh, the PCC earlier uh, this week, was it this week? Yes, it was. Well, I suppose it was last week, wasn't it, technically? There we are. Uh, we read Revelation 5 together at the beginning of the meeting. Uh, and Revelation 5 tells us that heaven sings because Jesus died for every tribe and language and people and nation. And that big range, that, that it sort of stretch, that variety of humanity is what we're going to see as we just work through Mark chapter 3. Uh, and that kicks off uh, with the religious leaders. They're in uh, uh, verse 2. They were, uh, the, the, chapter 3 just says they were watching him, but it's picking up what was happening uh, in the previous chapter where uh, the Pharisees and the religious leaders are keeping an eye on what Jesus is going to do in the synagogue uh, on this Sabbath day. Is he going to heal a man or not? That was really all they were interested in. Was he going to break the Sabbath law uh, and heal this man? Uh, because the, the laws were really quite explicit. Um, one rabbi explicitly taught you should not help someone uh, with a withered hand on the Sabbath. It was a very clear-cut uh, situation. And as far as the Pharisees were concerned, um, this is kind of how you got right with God. You stuck to those rules. And if you were a religious person and you stuck to the rules, then you would please God. Um, and in, in sort of theological terms, uh, what Jesus says to that is, well, stuff that. He, he, he seems in this passage to go absolutely out of his way, doesn't he, to make the point. You know, there was absolutely no reason why Jesus couldn't have had a quiet word with this man and say, I'd like to sort out your hand, pop back here tomorrow morning and we'll sort it out for you. Could easily have done that, couldn't he? In fact, you notice, verse 1, uh, this man hasn't asked to be healed. 
Jesus is really making a point. He calls him out and he wants to ram home that message that we have to keep remembering that faith in a living God is not a matter of following stipulations. It's not like keeping to the speed limit. So straight off in this little passage, we're seeing Jesus saying, I haven't come for the respectable religious people who are interested in working their way to heaven by keeping the rules. Jesus says, I've come to everyone who simply responds to my call. Next section, uh, it's the same idea. Verse 7, large crowds came. And we, we know from some of the feeding miracles, we're talking about thousands of people, thousands of people gathering to come to Jesus. And they're coming from all over the place. I know some people like maps, so there's a very exciting map. Um, and it's picking up that idea that you can read here. People coming from Galilee, from Judea, from Jerusalem. Um, those are the, the Jewish heartlands, if you like. Uh, and then they're coming uh, from Tyre and Sidon, much more cosmopolitan and, uh, and probably not involving anybody Jewish at all. And then from across the Jordan, Idumea, uh, would be a mixture of people, uh, Jewish folk uh, uh, and non-Jewish. And what I guess perhaps we don't pick up because we're not so familiar with the, the territory is the mixture of people that would be. So we've got Sea of Galilee, sort of the, the, the fishing communities, if you like. Uh, you've got Jerusalem, the sort of sophisticated uh, city dwellers. You've got the people from the seaside towns and, and the ports. Uh, and then you've got the desert nomads and the folk from the, the desert mountain fastnesses around the Dead Sea. This is a picture of the whole world Every tribe and nation coming to Jesus. There's no easy jet to ship people across all over the world. There's no Zoom, there's no WhatsApp, there's no other way. But Mark can illustrate that, but just point out. Look at the range of people who are coming to hear Jesus. God's love is for anyone from everywhere and from any background. Verse 13, Jesus appoints his sort of core team, if you like. Um, in fact, the word for appointing them in, in verse 12 says he made the 12. He made them. This is, it's actually a sort of kind of little throwback to Genesis 1, verse 1, as God creates. It's sort of echo of a new start here. And it's a big, serious moment. You know it's serious in the Bible because it's on the mountain. Whenever you see a mountain, something serious is happening. And yet, who does he pick? Well, it's a real rag, tag, and bobtail of followers. Does anybody remember rag, rag tag, and bobtail as a program? Yes, thank you, Chris. Great program. Anyway, a real mixture of uh, 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 people. None of them uh, are, are particularly special. Um, we, we know their names, and we know a little bit about them. And what we know is not terribly good, to be honest. Uh, just running through here. Peter's unreliable. James and John were noisy and aggressive. 
Bartholomew's cynical. Thomas, not sure. Philip gets on well with the Greek community, which was fine. Matthew gets on a bit too well with the Roman community, and that wasn't fine, and probably didn't go down at all well with Simon, Simon the Zealot, which means he was an anti-Roman terrorist. And then right at the end, we have Judas, who's just a petty thief and a traitor. It's a real hodgepodge of people, isn't it? A really odd mixture. Nothing really to commend them. And yet look at verse 13. Jesus says he wants them. Um, I don't know who painted this picture, so if anybody's complained about there's no credit for it, that's because I don't know who it is. But uh, the reason I like this picture of the disciples is they're sort of faceless, aren't they? We have sort of stereotypes, don't we, what we think the disciples are like. But here, uh, they could be us, they could be anybody. But what marks them out is that they're with the Lord. They're with the Lord Jesus. That is what's special about them. Nothing else. And we move on, look at verse 21. Or verse 31, you get the similar sort of uh, pattern in both of those. Jesus' family get involved uh, and try and get Jesus out of the situation. Um, they think the whole thing is getting out of hand, verse 21. Um, they obviously think he's mad. Uh, he, he seems to be uh, not eating. Um, but when he's told his mother and brothers are looking for him, what does he say? He looks at those sitting at his feet. Sitting at his feet is exactly what you're doing now with me. Uh, you are sitting and listening to someone speak. Um, I think listening to Jesus would be a, a better experience, but that's the idea, sitting and listening to what he had to say. And he says, those who want to do that, those are the folk who are living in God's will. Verse 35, he says, these are my brothers and my sisters. It's very interesting, he adds in sister. That wasn't in the question. He's sort of making a very clear statement, I think, about how sisters and brothers are equally important. But the point is that he hasn't just come for his family. He's come for anybody who wants to sit at his feet. And that is the amazing truth that keeps getting hammered over and over and over in this passage. Anyone can come to the Lord Jesus. Any background, any gender. And just look at verse 28. If you don't think uh, we've made this point enough, Jesus says, Truly I tell you, people be, can be forgiven all their sins and every slander they utter. Now it's a, it's a can, not a will. It's, it's a conditional promise, but never mind that for the moment. The point is, there is no limit there, is there? Every one of us can be forgiven our sins. Everybody in this room, everybody online, everybody watching this on YouTube in 100 years' time or whatever, anyone can be forgiven their sins. All the stuff that's gone in your, on in your life, all the attitudes, all those little tweets that you made and you wished you hadn't, all the things you thought, never told anybody about, None of that 
needs to separate us from the love of God. Because when Jesus dies on the cross, he takes away the punishment for all that stuff. He wipes out all the guilt, all the shame. It's an amazing, big-hearted offer. And not a single person is excluded from that offer. But, it's not really a but, it's with his land. That offer demands a response. And that response is going to have implication. And so we can work back through the chapter again and see some of those responses. Um, and the first one is outright rejection. Uh, and that's what the religious leaders do, isn't it? That's, in fact, by verse 6, uh, that rejection is so strong that they just want to kill Jesus. But rejecting Jesus has serious consequences. Jesus says in John 12, there is a judge for those who reject me. Famous verse of Peter, isn't it? When he, when he gives a sermon, he says, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. So there's a flip side to that. Don't believe in the Lord Jesus and you won't be saved. It's a very simple choice, actually, isn't it? We accept Jesus or not. We choose life or death. And it is binary. I, I, you know, it is not true that all religions lead to God. That is something you will be told regularly. I was told it regularly while I was doing my lay ministry training uh, by people who should know better. It is simply not true. Because if it was true, if it was true that all religions lead to God, then really why is Jesus angry with the Pharisees in verse 5? If, if their religion leads to God, fine, doesn't have to worry about it, does he? Nor, bizarrely, would Jesus get so cross about what happens in verse 22 when they accuse Jesus of being possessed by the devil. Because if all religions lead to God, then devil worship leads to God. So what's the problem? It is a lie that there is any other way to reach God but through Jesus. Now, you can't look at this passage without having a little comment about verse 29, can you? Uh, this reference to an eternal sin. The thing I think to focus on more is Jesus has just said all sins can be forgiven. Nothing separates us from the love of God. But the context is really important, isn't it? Verse 22, the Pharisees say Jesus is demon-possessed. Verse 30, Jesus says, because they said that, he makes this comment. That's when he talks about blasphemy that never can be forgiven. And, and one commentator had quite a good phrase to describe this. Uh, he talked about there's light in the head, but hatred in the heart. This is a comment very specifically aimed at people who can look on a God of love, but just see pure evil someone who has put themselves beyond the reach of God's mercy. And it's often said, and you've probably heard it before, but it's probably worth repeating, that if this is a verse that troubles you, then you don't need to worry about it. Because if you're worried about it, that shows it's in itself 
that you haven't put yourself out of reach of God's mercy. Um, but it may be something you need to have a chat about afterwards and, and do feel free to do that. I do wonder, incidentally, which is not your bigger conversation, is actually if this is where our nation is going, though, in its attitude to our Lord. Anyway, that's one response. Uh, that is just outright rejection uh, and the consequences. Um, second response I want to pick up on is those folk who want to follow the Lord Jesus, but kind of only on their own terms, or they have their own uh, picture uh, of what Jesus is like. Um, you know, we have a sort of a, an image that suits us of Jesus, and we want to manage him in some way. And there are two groups of people doing that uh, in this passage. Look at verse 9 and 10. Um, the crowd are, are mobbing Jesus. They're, they're pushing him around. They're trying to get at him. They're, they're overwhelming him. But apparently, mainly, just so that they can get healed. They're reaching out to touch him because they want him to heal them. They don't necessarily want to listen to what he has to say. And you could say the same with, with his family. Uh, Jesus is acting like a madman. Their main concern is to get him back under control. They don't want to listen to what he has to say. Jesus doesn't suit them at that time. And that's a, I think that's a warning uh, to many of us that we can assume that we are close to the Lord. We can assume that we're Christians but actually, all we know is we know lots about Jesus. We might even have experienced some, some blessing. We might have experienced a healing or something. And that might be wonderful, just as the crowd could testify to what God had done. But that is not living, saving faith. That is not a personal relationship with the Lord. So maybe for some of us, we just need to take a little rain check and say, well, actually, do I really have that relationship? Or have I just got a Jesus that suits me? Well, what does a living, saving faith uh, look like? Well, look at verse 13. Jesus calls to him those he wanted. And what does it say? They came to him. It's that simple. That is the response that God looks for from us, that we simply come to him when he calls. Now, Stephen is always showing us pictures of his dogs, and they're not as nice as mine was, because I used to have a little corgi. And Judith always said she was fat, but she wasn't. She was a lovely little dog. She was called Candy. Um, but one of Candy's many failings, and there were many, was that if I let her off the lead, she would just run. And no matter how much I kept calling her, she would just keep on running. And I can remember standing in the park as a little lad, bawling my eyes out as my love of my life disappeared uh, into the horizon. Um, that story ends very sadly, but 
You can ask me about that over coffee. But the point is, Candy had a choice. And when it comes to Jesus, so do we, and so do the disciples. Do we come when we're called? Well, the disciples, of course, did. And what are they called to? They're not called to be religious. I think we quite often sort of, uh, 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 sort of happy slagging off a Pharisaic religion and then we can slip into it ourselves, can't we? And we need to look and say, what were the disciples called to? They weren't called to be religious. Jesus actually doesn't call them to study their Bibles or to go to God with all their problems or to go to church regularly or to join a house group. The first thing he calls them to is to be in relationship with him and allow ourselves to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And then his first priority is to tell them to preach. You see that? Now that's a difficult word, isn't it? Because we look at that and we say, well, I wasn't called to preach. That's what vicars do. And it's not a brilliant translation. Um, it's in, in other parts of Mark's Gospel, that same word uh, is translated proclaim, which still sounds a bit grand. Um, but it's basically passing the message on, telling people about the Lord Jesus. That is their first priority. They're to fight evil, to cast out demons. Uh, in, in other commissioning verses, they're also to bring healing. But the number one priority is to tell others. And that is not something just for the 12 disciples, because otherwise it would have stopped there, wouldn't it? It's something for everybody. 1 Peter 2, Peter says we must imitate Christ in this. All of us who are students who sit at Jesus' feet, all of us who are his family, his sisters and brothers, are called on to speak about him. Now I guess what that means is that a lot of us probably listening to the first half of this little talk about how Jesus loves everybody and, and you know, it doesn't matter where you're from, any background, those of us who are Christians reflecting on that, so yes, that's right, that's, that's a lovely message, we, 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 we like that. But it isn't a matter of listening to that and saying, yes, that's lovely, it's a matter of listening to, do, listening to that and responding to what Jesus says here. We are to tell others. How else will they hear? Pope Francis said the Christian is always outward bound. Oh, that's a great phrase. The Christian is always outward bound, moving out towards others with the message of salvation. That is actually the DNA of this church, isn't it? It's why it's named after Bishop Hannington, someone who did exactly that uh, and paid for his life with him. And because Jesus calls everyone from every tribe and every background and so on and so forth, it means actually that none of us have any excuse for not talking to anyone. You know, there are two or three people 
I find really difficult to talk to. And I think, I'm not sure I really want you in this church if you became a Christian. Well, that's a terrible attitude. There is no one that we should not be prepared to talk to. And we often say to ourselves, don't we, especially with Alpha coming up, oh, I couldn't ask so-and-so. And you say, well, why not? Because we are called to do that. We are to preach, we are to proclaim, we are to tell others. So there's a little plug for Alpha. We've still got the invites available, still got a week to go. We don't have any excuses. We risk it for the Lord. It's not much of a risk, frankly, because whoever believes in the Lord Jesus will be saved. Not just the people that we like. So over coffee in a moment, let's just ask that question to each other. Let's just be honest. Say, who can I invite? And and what's my problem? What's what's challenging me? Why do I find that so difficult? Have one-to-ones over coffee. Pray about it together. Jesus' offer of eternal life is not just for you and me. It's for everyone. In modern parlance, it's inclusive and it's diverse. And it demands a response. We can reject him and face the consequence. We can accept him and enter into a new life. And then, with the help of the Holy Spirit, we are outward bound. Let me just pray. Father, we just thank you for that amazing promise that all sins can be forgiven and that anybody from every tribe and every nation and any background can know you and be in relationship with you. And we pray this evening that uh, that will be something uh, that folk would take to heart and would start that relationship with you. And we pray for those of us who have known you for years or maybe just for a short time, that you will give us the courage to proclaim, to tell others about you. Help us to be outward bound. Amen.